morning, church. My name's Jean. Uh, join with me now as we begin our second Bible reading uh, for today. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 31. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given from the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit. And to another, faith, by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healing, by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of all different kinds of tongues. Are all, the are all the apostles, are all the prophets, are all the teachers, do all the miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Thank you, Jean. Now, this is one of those um, passages where I think after watching the kids talk, you don't really need a sermon now because it was so good again. Uh, But let's pray. We'll consider this. Uh, Keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians 12. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit who equips us for works of service to build up this church in honour of Christ. And we pray that we'll be convicted in a stronger way today as we consider this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, have you ever thought about what makes for a good, healthy family life? A family life where there is harmony, peace, joy, life and vitality. It's good. What makes for such a family? Now, of course, there are many reasons that contribute to that. And our family certainly is not always harmonious. But when it is good, do you know what we notice? When it is good. Well, when it is good, it's when every member of our family, we know our part we play in the family, the responsibilities we bear for the good of the family. And so what I did yesterday was, in fact, something quite daring, uh, sort of like a little stock take on who's doing what in a household. And so I went around to each member of my family and I asked them a question, so what do you do for the family? It's a dangerous question. And so first I went to, e- actually I went to all of them, Ethan, what do you do? Well, I unload the dishes, I wipe the table, I weed, sometimes I do the mowing, that's Ethan. Caleb, what do you do? Well, I do the bins, mow the lawn sometimes, and sometimes vacuum. Not very well, but he does. Esther, what do you do? Wash the dishes, load the dishwasher, put the dishes away, uh, wash the clothes, fold the clothes, and help with dinner. A bit more. Yvonne, now this is dangerous. What do you do for the family, Yvonne? And she first said to me, don't you see what I do? (laughs) I put food on the table. Kids are organised, and boy, she keeps the kids organised. All these emails from school, I could not cope. I support you. I work around your timetable, she's saying to me. I cook, I clean, I iron, I pretty much do everything. And I sort of have to agree when I ask her. But then I asked them the more dangerous question. What do you think I do? Ethan, well, you mow the lawn, you drive, you work. Caleb, what do you think I do? You lock the doors at night, you work, you do most of the things. Now, I like that answer. I'm not sure if it's very true, but I like that answer. Esther, what do you think I do? Take out the bins, you exercise, and you work. Yvonne, what what do I do? Her first answer was, not much. And then she sort of had to qualify. Well, you make me hot chocolate, you kill the spiders, you catch the mouse and you lock the doors. But the rest is pretty much me. (laughs) And so I looked at that list as I was listening. Surely I do more than that. They just laughed. But we are a harmonious family, so don't be too worried. But when family life is going well, it's when we all know our place in the family. We carry our responsibilities, we love and serve each other for the common good. And with the church family, it's no different to that. But the difference is, what we have in the church family is that God, in fact, equips the members of his family with spiritual gifts for the family to be harmonious, joyful, vibrant, with vitality and pleasing to God. And so this passage is really for all of us, every one of us, new Christians, old Christians, young, 
old, middle age, and everyone in between. What is our place in this church family, in this family of God? And how has God's Spirit equipped us for the common good? Well, let's have a look at our passage. Well, here we see the first point is simple. The Spirit of God gives a diversity of gifts to the family, which means we're all gifted in different ways, and we all have a different part to play in the family. And so you'll see and you'll notice that I'm not part of the music team for good reason. Though I have joined the Christmas choir, but I'm really just pretending I'm standing next to someone who can sing. We're all gifted in different ways. But Paul begins this passage by making clear it's not our spiritual gifts that makes us spiritual. We're in the same family. We're spiritual because by the Spirit we can confess that Christ is Lord. When we believe in Jesus as our Saviour and King, that is what makes us spiritual. There is no spiritual pecking order. Paul was at pains to make that clear. There is no sense of first-class Christians who, who have some special gifts just reserved for them, like some second blessing or like speaking in tongues. That would be wrong. And there's no sense of economy-class Christians. We are all spiritual if we can confess that Christ is Lord. But Paul is simply making the point there is no competition within the family of God. God has gifted us differently, some musically, some with administration skills, some in giving generosity, some in showing hospitality, some teaching, some leading. But it is simply out of God's choice and will. He decides. And that's what we see. And what we notice here is that it comes from the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. You have to notice this. Look at verses 4 to 6. I'll have it on the screen. Uh, actually, have a look at verses 4 to 6 with me. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them. Now, now do you notice that? Spirit, Lord Jesus, and God, Trinity. And do you notice what gifts are are explained as being, the parallels? Different kinds of gifts, services and workings, which means how does gifts look? They look like service. They look like workings. It's how each of us have our part to play, and it is spiritual in origin. Now, it's worth considering and understanding the word spiritual gifts. The word gift in verse 4 is the word charismata. It's where we get the word charismatic from. That's the word. But what does it mean? Well, the word charis means grace. And so charismata means a grace gift. And if it is a grace gift, what does it mean? Well, God gives the gifts. It's up to him. It's not earned nor deserved, but it is a gift. And it is up to God to give to whom he chooses and how he chooses. And there, are, uh, there is a diversity of gifts. God made us all different, and he equips us by his Spirit differently. And that is a good thing. That's what we see, what, what we see in this whole chapter. God, in fact, loves the diversity so much. One person once said that when God sends a snowstorm, he makes each snowflake different. Whereas when we make ice cubes, they look the same. God makes snowflakes And so in the brilliant design of God, isn't that what we see in our church? We are all different. 
you know, you're a snowflake. We're different in a good way. But for what purpose? Well, what is God's purpose in giving us different grace gifts? Well, he says pretty clearly here, it is for the common good. It is for the same purpose. It is for the good of the church. And so as you are gifted and as you are exercising your gifts, it's not for our own good, not to bring a name to ourselves, but it is for the common good. And perhaps it might be helpful here for for us just to take a moment to understand the difference between spiritual gifts and natural abilities or natural talents. Natural talents and skills we all have. They are for all sorts of different purposes. And that's part of God's common grace to creation. All good things come from God. A skilled, intelligent surgeon is good for society. A wise politician is good for society. That's God's common grace. But there is something different to spiritual gifts because the purpose is for the good of the church. Spiritual gifts is for the good of the church. It's a bit like, if you can imagine with me, a Venn diagram. You know what a Venn diagram is? Two circles. So you've got the one circle where that is about our natural talents. The things we're able to do naturally, born with, able to do, some things we have to practice and learn. And then we've got another circle, and that is the spiritual gifts that God gives us. But yet there is an overlap in between. And so there might be natural talents. I might be a good teacher, but I might be terrible at teaching the Bible. And then on the other side, you've got spiritual gifts, which only comes because of God's kindness and only came after I became a Christian. And this is for the good of the church. And then there's an overlap in the middle. You know how a Venn diagram is. There's an overlap where our talents can also be our spiritual gifts. So I may be naturally talented as a teacher and the Spirit can take that, empower that so that it is also for the good of the church. And so that's what we see. Look at verse 7. Spiritual gifts. Look at verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That's the purpose. Then Paul goes on to list the different spiritual gifts in this chapter. He also has a different list in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, which means that the list we're going to read through, it's not an exhaustive list. You've got administration, giving generously, being merciful, leadership. They're all different gifts, but not here. But we'll go through this one. So have a look at verse 8 with me. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. Now, I suspect we would know amongst us those who are just wise, those who are just knowledgeable. We turn to them for advice. And then we read on, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Now, of course, all Christians, we have faith in Christ. But somehow, to some, there is this faith that is seen in adversity. I think that's what this is speaking about. I remember reading this story about Christians in Syria who were being persecuted. In fact, there was a story in Barnabas Fun that spoke of how some Christians witnessed a fellow Christian brother executed for their faith. But yet, that brother was able to say, don't worry about us. 
Even if they were to cut our heads off ten times, we would still say Jesus is Lord. I mean, that is profound faith. That is the gift of the Spirit. And then verse 9, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, miraculous powers. Some would say perhaps those gifts ended with the first Christians, but I think it's only safe to say we should not try to box God in what he can or can't do. And then we read on, to another prophecy. Now, there are different views on what this means today for Christians. And it's not necessarily about predicting the future. I mean, Moses was a prophet, but his work was not about predicting the future. In fact, prophecy, the essence of prophecy, is not the prediction of the future so much as revealing the mind and will of God. And the way I think this still happens today, you know, the gift of prophecy, I reckon it still happens, but I reckon it happens unknowingly or unrecognized. It's never to be seen on par as the, as, uh, the authority of Scripture or a new revelation, but I reckon it still happens. And I think the way it still happens is when someone says in some direct application of Scripture to you at that moment, at just the right time, and what you just needed to hear from God. That can be prophecy. Or it could be spirit-given insight into society or where it is going. But it can be given and said, even not knowing. A bit like the Apostle Peter, when he confessed that Jesus is the Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said in response to that? I mean, he confessed something rightly. He prophesied rightly. But then Jesus said, This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And so I reckon prophecy can still happen, but often unknowingly. Next we read, to another distinguishing between spirits, a discernment between good and evil, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now this gift is perhaps the most contentious amongst in the Christian, Christian church. From Acts 2, it could just be different languages spoken so that people would understand it in their native tongue. In 1 Corinthians 14, it could be a language spoken just to God. But what is important is how it's exercised. If it is in public, it needs to be interpreted. Otherwise, it makes no use. It has no use. Privately, go for your life. That's what Paul says. You can read more of that in 1 Corinthians 14. And now we're up to verse 11. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit, And he gives them to each one just as he determines. And so you've got a diversity of gifts, but the same spirit, the same purpose for the common good. And now what Paul does is he uses an illustration of the human body to explain his point. And it's really a brilliant, a really brilliant illustration because it makes it so clear. How are we meant to understand this group? How are we meant to understand the family of God, well, as one body, which means there are many different parts, and we all have a part to play. And so what Paul makes clear here is just that wonderful picture of the body with many parts, like a family unit working so harmoniously together as the body. And so have a look at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, They form one body, so it is with Christ. The church is like the body. We all have different parts to play, 
And we all have an important part to play. And so Paul then goes on to say, if you're one part and you're not the other, if I'm the foot, but because I'm not the hand, and to think I don't belong, well, that would be wrong. Everyone has a part to play. And so it is important for each one of us to to recognize that if we're part of the family of God, we all have a part to play. Even if you think about this, if you think about the church and, you know, maybe that person's the elbow, that person's the arm, and you're thinking, I'm just a fingernail, I'm dispensable. The reality is that fingernails are actually pretty important. Think about how weird it would be if we had no fingernails. Our, our fingers look like E.T. In fact, fingernails, I did a bit of research, it's useful for protecting the fingers. It allows us to have finer motor skills, allows us to hold and to grip, to scratch, peel oranges. But you see, in God's brilliant design, he designed the body the way it's meant to be. And so look at verse 18. God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's a beautiful picture. God is like the great conductor, and it's not a one-piece solo orchestra. Instead, he arranges the orchestra so that you've got the woodwind, you've got the brass, the percussion, the strings, all in their place. Even the guy in the back, you know, the guy with the triangle when you watch an orchestra, he's not doing very much. Once in a while you hear that noise, that, uh, that ring, but he's important. But yet God together puts together the orchestra in perfect harmony, a brilliant symphony. We all have an important part to play. It's a beautiful picture. You have to love this. Which means then that there is no looking down upon anyone else. No looking down and despising any other part. And so if you're the eye, you cannot look at the pinky toe and say, well, you're not very good looking. We don't need you. Not at all. We cannot do that. In fact, we see here the most modest parts are the parts we are to pay extra attention to. No less important in the body of Christ. In fact, look at verse 26 now. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. And you notice that in the church, don't you? I mean, when one of us is grieving, the church grieves. When one of us gets sick or gets cancer, the church prays and feels the pain. Or when one celebrates with good news of birth, marriage, we celebrate together. And so the the illustration, the, the principle is simple, it's clear, it's brilliant. One body, many parts. And we're not all meant to be the same. Just like the kids talk. If we're all singers, who's playing the music? If we're all teachers, who is learning? If we are all preachers, the pews will be empty. Instead, we are to desire the greater gift, which is how Paul ends here. And the greater gift is love. Without love, it's all meaningless. And so the question I started with asking my family, it's a question for us. What is it that makes a good, healthy church family? What does that look like? I mean, if I were to go around in a sense, a bit like what I did with my family and ask, well, what's your part? What's your part for the good of this family? I mean, would that be 
an encouraging question to receive? Or would that be discouraging? Would it be challenging? Or, or would the answer be a bit like, what, I, what do I do? Not much. You see, whatever God has given us, we have to remember it's not for our own sakes. We don't exercise our gifts to draw attention to ourselves. It's not to get a big head. That would be wrong. And so there's no pride or boasting at all with something that God has freely given. Instead, we exercise it with humility for the common good. And so what do you think? Do you think this happens in our church? What do you think? Well, it happens all the time, doesn't it? When I encourage a brother or sister, you've done really well. Thank you for serving us in that way. What's the response? Typically, oh, of course, I'm, I'm that type of person. I'm really good. I never hear that. Instead, you always hear them praising God. The glory is God's alone. And that's the right response because the gift is from God. It's why I often feel very uncomfortable when I've been encouraged. Thank you for what you've done, for your teaching, for your leading, for your preaching. My line is always, well, praise the Lord. Always praise the Lord. Why? And I do mean it because as I reflect on how God has used me, I, I just blown away. How could God use a person like me? Now, I'll share this story and I'll share it with a bit of caution. And I, I share it not trying to draw attention to myself because that will be to do the complete opposite of what this passage is about but really to allow you to see the awe and wonder of how I feel and what God has done even through my life and how he continues to work. And of course, not just in my life, but in yours as well. You see, if you knew me about 25 years ago, you would not have guessed that I would become a minister. Not at all. If you knew me 25 years ago, I was geeky, introverted, still introverted, awkward and you probably still think that I'm all of those things uh, I wasn't very good around people and you might still think that as well I wasn't certainly was not a public speaker always afraid to be in front I always prefer to follow rather than lead and naturally I'd rather sit in the back than to be up front that's how I am I would never put my hand up never volunteer that's why I became an engineer, because you don't have to deal with many people as an engineer. But you see, if you knew me about 25 years ago, you say, well, what, what happened there? But that's why I feel in awe of what God has done. He's formed, he's molded, and he gave gifts that were not mine, not natural to me, certainly not earned. And the gift of loving the Word of God and teaching the Word of God now, of course, I don't presume that I'm any great preacher, not at all. Not at all. But it is so not me to be doing what I'm doing. How can that be possible? It's the kindness of God and his gift of grace, the grace gift. It's why I always feel uncomfortable when I'm encouraged even for doing what I'm doing because the praise, it has to be the Lord's. It's really not me. The glory is God's alone. And so the same with you. As we all exercise our gifts, as you exercise your gifts, we do so humbly 
joyfully, lovingly for the common good. And when we see our fellow brothers and sisters exercise their grace gifts, what do we do? Well, we rejoice, don't we? We rejoice because God in his manifold wisdom has distributed such gifts by his spirit for the good of his church. I mean, we've seen examples of that, the pictures of the women's event. How many hands at work to make that happen? For the good of his church. I mean, have you thought about it? As we reflect and see, we rejoice. And lately I've been doing a lot of rejoicing. I mean, there is no way that our church can be the church that it is without many of you exercising the gifts God has given you. There are those gifted in teaching. Our little ones, our teenagers, the young adults, and the rest of us. Not everyone can do it, and that is okay. They are God's gift to us. Not just what they are able to do, but them themselves. There are those gifted in administration and finance and leadership. Not everyone can do it as well. In fact, not everyone likes it. But they are also God's gift to us. Those who do that. I mean, for us to hear that report from Brian, there are so many gifted people involved in making that happen. So many over so many months. And we praise God for such gifts, of gifts and people. There are those with a a special endowment of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, even though I'm the minister, I'm not the wisest one around. Not by far, not by far. I seek the counsel of the elders often. There are men and women in our church who are just so far wiser. God has given them that gift of wisdom and knowledge. There are those gifted with the gift of encouragement. Always encouraging, always something to build up a brother or sister. The gift of service. The gift of caring for the needy. And when we see that, what do we do? We rejoice. They are God's gift to us working together like a beautiful symphony that God is orchestrating. And finally, I suspect for some of us, we might be asking, well, what's my gift then? What's my part in the family? Well, I think this is where we should all be at least challenged. I think we should be challenged if we think, I'm just a fingernail in the church. I've got nothing to offer. That would be wrong. I think we should be challenged if we use it as an excuse. I've got no gifts. I'm not gifted in hospitality or speaking or teaching. I'm introverted. Uh, I'm, I'm just a fingernail. Well, that's an excuse. We should be challenged if we're lazy. There are so many gifted people out there. I don't need to do anything. They can all do it all. It's good for them. That's just laziness. We should be challenged if the extent of our involvement in the family, in the body of Christ, is just to come to church and to warm the pews. We should be challenged by that as well, without even the intention of knowing the other parts of the body. I mean, even if I was just a fingernail, at least know the finger you're attached to, and then slowly get to know the hand and the arm and the torso and the rest of the body. You see, we have to remember what it costs God to bring us together, to make us his family, for us to call him Father and Jesus' brother, what did it cost him? It cost him his son. Jesus bled and died to make that possible. 
And so we can't be useless in the body, but useful. And so if, if any one of us were asking that question, what are my gifts? Well, it's really a question about what's my place in the family. Well, I think the better question to ask, or the better way to think about our gifts, is to ask instead two questions. Firstly, where can I serve humbly? There are always ample opportunities to serve. How do I know if I can teach, if I'm gifted in teaching? Do you know how you find out? You give it a go. I had no idea that I can do it when, uh, until I started teaching Sunday school and then youth group and leading Bible. You give it a go. How do you know? You have to start. How do I know if I'm gifted in, in hospitality, in opening up my home, being generous and gracious? How do I know? I give it a go. I start doing it. How do I know if I'm gifted, gifted administratively? I volunteer to organize things. I volunteer to organize events. I put my hand up. How do I know? I give it a go. And so the first question, where can I serve humbly? And when I do, I share in the blessing of being a blessing. And second question, and that is, who can I love joyfully? I mean, part of exercising our gifts is for the good of the church, for the good of each other, and ultimately for the honor of Christ. And that always involves loving each other. And so, try perhaps staying around after each service to get to know the finger and the hand and the arm and to express that love. Try having a go at saying something encouraging every single week, especially those of us who are more critical, something to build a brother or sister. Who can I love this week? Who can I love enough to share, to serve, to encourage, to mentor and to disciple? And you might be surprised by what the Spirit of God can do. And so what does a healthy church family look like? Many parts, many gifts, but the one spirit, the one purpose, part of the one body. A beautiful symphony playing harmoniously together for the glory of Christ. That's the gift of the Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your manifold wisdom, you have not only saved us by your Spirit for the sake of Christ, but you have given us the gifts of the Spirit so that we might love and build each other up for the glory of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.